Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Steve Bruce to my Fiona Bruce. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? How have you been? I'm very good, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm well slept, I'm well rested, I'm, I'm very good. I'm, I'm in a very good mood today. Good, good. You've been up to much over the past few days? I started a new a new job. I've been going into an office for the first time since 2019. It's that was all a bit weird, but other than that, it's business as usual. Yeah, I remember when I went back into an office for the first time, and it was very weird having to socialise with people again yeah. instead of just saying yeah. hi to my dog every day instead. Although maybe I do prefer the dog bit actually. Yeah, I, I preferred the uh, the dog colleague as opposed to human colleagues. A lot more. A lot much easier, a lot, a lot easier, I should say, and uh, yeah, not not too. Don't have to make small talk with them. I think that's the thing. You don't have to make small talk with your dog. Yeah, and the dogs slobbers a lot less than some of my colleagues as well. <laughs> um, I went to see John Richardson the other day, Justin, and okay. the the I, once I figured it out in my head who he looked like from a distance, I could not get it out of my head. From a distance, he looks a lot like Carlos Corbran. From I know okay. from close up he doesn't really look like it, but for the vast majority of the second half of the gig, I'd say I was thinking I'm watching Carlos Corbran there tell me jokes. <laughs> I think you're stretching a little bit, just a little bit. Now, as I say, I know he doesn't look like him from up close, but from a distance, just okay. just a thought I had, just something to keep in mind. Welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to go through the two midweek games we had in the championship this week, as well as talking about some of the news from the past few days. Of course, we're going to talk about Steve Reese. West Brom finally took the dog back into the into the back garden and did what they had to do. <laughs> and all the other bits of news from the championship over the past few days. And then we'll finish off with Diddy or Didn't He right at the end. We'll also have a quick look at some of the games coming up in the championship this coming weekend but before we get underway let me tell you listener about our friends at Fansbet the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans do check them out by clicking the link in the description of the podcast and claim your 200% sports deposit bonus of up to £200. Terms of restrictions apply. Full details on site, 18+. plus. Please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleware.org for more info. And do also check out Fansbet Responsible Gambling Tools. So we'll kick things off with a game from Wednesday night, which had a late winner from Rob Atkinson which gave Bristol City a 2-1 win at home to Preston. Justin, you went too early on giving up hope on Bristol City. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe I did, but maybe I didn't at the same time. 
this was it was a good performance from Bristol City. Not they weren't at their their, their best, or we they weren't at the what they they didn't do what they they, they have been doing this season, um, which has been pretty much blowing teams out of the water from an attacking perspective. Um, they were a lot more proactive from set pieces, which I think just tells you a bit of the position they're in at the minute. Probably low on confidence in their their build up play a little bit, but nonetheless they were still a constant threat from set pieces, created five chances from um, corners and free kicks. Um, so credit to, to turning that around. And I think the biggest thing here is just the character to keep going. They, they blew another lead, um, but actually they, they kept going and, and took advantage of some sloppy defending from Preston, which you can only tip your hat to. Yeah, it's them who have snatched the points late on for a change, isn't it? I saw this game, I did think it was too very average teams if I'm being honest Bristol City without a doubt the better of the sides but the overall quality on show told a lot for me the one player who was the the most had the most quality on the pitch was Alex Scott who really impressed me here we're both very well aware of how much a talent he is a 19 year old midfielder from Guernsey and hopefully our listeners are aware of how much of a talent he is as well. But even then, I don't think he gets spoken about enough on this show, Justin, because he is a proper talent, isn't he? Yeah, when we're talking about um, just how good youngsters are, yeah, Alex Scott, it probably doesn't come up enough, as you say, but he's got he's got the ability to, to be a top, top player. Um, and he's not the, the tallest or biggest of players, um, but he's, he's, he's a very good box-to-box but he's clinical and aggressive in what he does with the ball, um, and I think that's, that's that's a very difficult thing to coach into into youngsters. If you look at how how good Tommy Conway's got off the mark, I think he's not had as much um, chat either because he's been brilliant this season. Um, and it's the same with Alex Scott, who's been absolutely outstanding. Um, he's a player who can create, he can score. He's got the energy as well, um, and his, his his ability with the ball at his feet to be able to. Um, Dive in and out of challenges, moving in and out of challenges is is, is really really uh, a massive asset to, to Bristol City. So yeah, it's a, it's another really good youngster coming through Bristol City. If you look at the likes of Joe Bryan, Bobby Reed, um, they, they're players that have come through in in recent years. It's just continuing now. It's a really good underrated academy at Ashton Gate. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And the defensive side of Scott's game is brilliant which is really quite impressive for a young midfielder you don't get a vast amount of young midfielders who are excellent at that side of the game and it wouldn't surprise me actually if as his career develops he becomes more of a defensive minded midfielder maybe even a holding midfielder in the long run one thing that does let him down is his discipline in his last three games he's only had three games where he didn't pick up a card (laughs) and last season he was one of the most carded players in the division little things like that can put off top sides from investing in him however I think you'd be a bit foolish as a top side not to be looking at him I think Man United were one side who are linked with him in the summer because in in terms of pure talent he's without a doubt got what it takes to be a Premier League player, anti. Um, this result ends a run of five games without a win for Bristol City. In fact, they only picked up one point in that time. So be interested to see how they do against Millwall this weekend. Considering they've just come off the back of a win away at Norwich, I was quite disappointed with Preston Justin. Before Atkinson's equaliser, I felt like a point was a bit undeserved from their perspective. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a performance that would probably really disappoint Ryan Lowe after saying at the weekend that they wanted to go out and put a marker against Norwich or put a marker for the rest of the division against Norwich and they did that, performed really well. They took the chances at key times, um, did ride the look, certainly did and they gifted their goals as well by some sloppy sloppy play from Norwich. 
Um, but you'd have thought that would have given him the confidence to to push into into this game against Bristol City. And you're coming up against a team who have lost, was it five games on the trot? So they're not exactly in top form to be very polite to Bristol City. So that's when you've got to take the game to the opposition. And I don't think Preston did that at all throughout the game. There was too many players off it. I know Robbie Brady um, had to play right wing back and he wasn't quite at his best. Daniel Johnson was really poor as well. And Emil Reese Jacobson wasn't his usual um, usual threatening best um, in, in the final third either. So yeah, it was, it was a poor performance. And again, from set pieces, that's what really let them down. Um, I think the second goal, I thought Freddie Woodman could have come and claimed it. I know he's not that type of keeper, but it was in a really good area for him and he would have been unchallenged because he was just surrounded by his own players before Robert, Robert Atkinson threw himself at it. So, yeah, really disappointing performance and, and I think most disappointingly, the goals they conceded were really poor. Yeah, without a doubt, Woodman should have got the second when a defender is heading it into the goal from where Atkinson scored. Yeah. Without a doubt, that's the goalkeeper's fault, even though we did have players in front of him. You've got him to command your area better than that. Uh, Preston have now conceded as many goals in the last two games as they did in the previous 12. And I think we speculated about it happening after they finally conceded. But could this be the start of the floodgates opening now that their goals against record is starting to return to normality? We'll have to wait and see, Justin. A Nathan Broadhead goal gave Wigan their first home win of the season on Tuesday night, beating Blackburn 1-0. Surprisingly comfortable win this for Wigan. Blackburn only managed three shots all game. Blackburn made so many mistakes at the back. The goal came from Tyler Morton losing the ball while dribbling towards his own goal. Wigan's home form had been a problem for them, hadn't it? They were the only side not to have won a home game. So they'll be pleased to finally get that monkey off the back, won't they? Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, they were really, really comfortable. Um, They were brilliant defensively, which I think is what pushed them pushed him to that three points. Uh, it didn't help that Blackburn just had absolutely no answer to any of the questions posed by Wigan at all. Um, I think uh, I think the stat popped up um, after Wigan scored is how much possession they had um, after going 1-0 ahead. They had 30% of the ball. They were happy to just sit in, keep that low block and just defend everything because Jack Watmull, um, Jason Kerr and Curtis Tilt were absolutely brilliant. Ben Amos had absolutely nothing to do. Um, and I think you can only credit how how disciplined and hard-working that performance was. And that's that's typified where Wigan have got to this season. And it's not really been reflected enough at home, as you as you mentioned. Um, so if they can get some more of that away form, get it into their home games and, um, yeah, make it difficult for opposition, then Wigan will be absolutely comfortable this season. No no mistake in that. Um, but, yeah, their Wigan were, were fantastic here. Rovers, Blackburn had no um, no answer to anything. Yeah, just as we say, just the three shots from Blackburn and similar to to Preston, actually, considering they came off the back of a rather impressive win against Rotherham at the weekend where they won 3-0 and basically dominated. The fact that they just came against another promoted side and barely harmed them is very strange indeed. Their form now reads loss, one, loss, one, loss, one, loss, one, loss. Consistently inconsistent, Justin. Yeah, I mean, you know what the result's going to be at the weekend, don't we? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's frustrating. Um, they're good at defending leads when they take them, but they struggle to get back into games if they go behind. And that's a real real issue that Thomason's got to iron out. Um, and I think that's more telling of the, the players he's got at the club. Um, I think Bradley Dax really, really out of form. And he's the sort of player you want to come in. If you go behind in games, he's a player you want to come in to try and unlock the opposition. Um, and I don't think that 4-3-3 false nine worked particularly well. Sam Gallagher out wide 
for me leaves a lot to be desired. It worked relatively well under Tony Mowbray at times, um, but I just don't think he's got the mobility and pace to, or the movement, in fact, to be that inside forward you need on the right hand side if you're playing a false nine. Um, and it just it just means, means the movement in the final third's flat, and it was at times. Um, and that's not a dig at Sam Gallagher, he's just not the type of player. Um, but yeah, they've gone behind in seven games this season and they've not brought the game back, which is, I think, really frustrating for, for Blackburn. It just means you're on edge, you're on the edge of your seat as a supporter because you know if you go behind that they're going to struggle to get back into it and that needs to needs to change very quickly. Otherwise, it's just going to be a season that is flat, I guess. Really, really flat. Well, I suppose losing, then winning, then losing, then winning every game is actually mathematically better than drawing every game into it because it means you get in an average of two points every every two games no three points every two games instead of just the two points if you drew every game out of pure interest I checked where you would have finished in the last few seasons if you won and lost every game for a whole season if you did that you'd of course have how many points Justin um 69 correct well done. You got that a lot quicker than I was expecting. <laughs> um, last season, they'd have finished in the same position that they actually ended up in, eighth. And in fact, for the last five seasons, you would have finished eighth or ninth, which would actually be a very good season at Blackburn, wouldn't it? So is this form actually that much of a bad thing? Maybe not. Um, but for anyone interested, Blackburn have Middlesbrough at the weekend, so they're almost guaranteed to continue this bizarre run of form. Right, let's just take a break. Just enough that we'll look ahead to some of the games in the Championship this weekend and then talk about some of the news from the past few days, including, of course, Steve Bruce getting the sack at West Brom. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. I was initially planning on doing a full-blown preview of this weekend, but we have so much news, Justin, that we won't bother. So before we get into the news, here's a miniature preview instead. Justin, can you give me a team you think is definitely going to win this weekend and one you fancy to pull off somewhat of a shock? You could start off with your definite win this weekend. Definite win has got to be Birmingham against Hull. Um, And Birmingham's away form, well, particularly the last two... Uh, or last game away at Sheffield United very disciplined very hard working um, kept a very talented team out of their goal um, and arguably maybe could have come away from come away with more um, but the reason why I think this is a banker is because they're coming up against Hull who are statistically the worst defensive team in the division um, and this game is going to come down to set pieces once again for Birmingham City as it did against Bristol City last weekend scored three goals from set pieces very well worked um, and then when you mix into that that Hull have the worst um, set-piece record, defending set-piece record, defensive set-piece record, I should say, in the division. Birmingham City are going to exploit that. There's no... Um, they are too they are too much of a savvy team under John Eustace not to exploit that. Um, and it probably makes up for their limitations at times with their forwards. So then they've got to make use of their set-pieces. So for me, Birmingham City, easily at least a 1-0 win against Hull. Yeah, Mark Roberts could have a field day from set pieces there, couldn't he? And Tariq Chong, the form that he's been in, not only from taking the set pieces, but also running at defenders, could also have a very good day at the office. So I'm not going to disagree with you there. Justin Birmingham have been fantastic form recently. Hull are really, really struggling, especially because they don't have a manager. And my definite win for the weekend, I'm going, I'm going Millwall away at Bristol City. Now, 
I did <laughs> I did write that down before Bristol City won in midweek. And as we all know at Bristol City, they're very streaky. So once they get out of their bad runner form, they tend to improve after that. And now that they've won, I'm thinking, hmm, maybe not. But I, I, I'm, the main reason I went with Millwall is because of the form of Zion Fleming in midfield. Their new signing from Haaland has been absolutely electric recently. He loves to have a pop at goal. We've spoken about that a lot, Justin, but now he's actually finding the back of the net. And whether it's from distance, whether it's from inside the box, he is one of the most feared players in the division I think right now just because he is so full of confidence and will certainly cause Bristol City loads of problems mainly because Bristol City are very leaky at the back so I fancy Millwall to get a result away at Bristol City I mean it's to be honest it was quite a hard uh, fixture list really wanted Justin to pick mm. out a definite winner but I'll go Millwall as the most likely one for myself Justin can I get you someone to pull off somewhat of a shock this weekend in the championship I'm going Blackpool beating Sheffield United. Wow. Um, yes. So, again, it comes down to recency bias, mainly. Um, okay, Sheffield United are, well, the best team in the league. They sit top of the table. Um, but I just think their injury crisis and Blackpool's upturn in form, um, I just think it, it, just, it, it all lends into and all comes together as a bit of a shock for me. Um, Blackpool have impressed me in the last three games. They've been creating an abundance of chances. The form of um, Theo Corbiano has, has gone under the radar. He's completed the, the joint most dribbles in the um, in the league this season, along with Xao Pedro. And he's gaining confidence against the defence. He's, he's, he's coming into this game, at the top of his game against the defence that he's just he's patched up. Now, I know that um, I know Ad, Admet Halzic could come back into the team. That could change things. Um but for me, the only way Sheffield United get three points here is if Heckingbottom can somehow get players out of the fizzy room and onto the pitch. Um, and he's admitted that his team haven't been able to train properly for the last seven weeks, I think he said, because of injuries. So for me, as I say, that upturning form for Blackpool of individuals and themselves as well and Black, uh, Sheffield United's uh, injury record, um, I just think 2-1 win for Blackpool for me. Yeah, it, it, a lot of this depends on who actually turns up for Sheffield United. I don't mean in terms of form, I mean in terms of who actually turns up physically, <laughs> literally. Um, because if if players like Armek Tozovic are back, just because he's so influential, that could change a lot for Sheffield United, couldn't it? And make them go back to their preferred way of playing. So, yeah, I'll hold off on making any assumptions on this game before I actually see the team sheets. <laughs> uh, my somewhat of a shock this weekend is Wigan away at Sunderland. Whether it's that much of a shock or not, I'm not too sure. But either way, I'm going for this because Sunderland have failed to win the last four games. They've only scored one in their last three. They are sorely missing a striker. They've had to play Alex Pritchard up front with a number of other players, the likes of Embleton, etc. have had to fill in there just because... Tony Mowbray's preferred way of playing a 4-4-2 just is not being able to do that because they don't have a striker. So it's really costing them recently and they're coming up against a Wigan side off the best away record in the league, winning four out of six. They lost a hole last week. was the first time they were beaten on the road. So therefore, I'm going to go for a Wigan win away at Sunderland. As I say, is it that much of a shock? Not too sure, but I'm going to claim it as one anyway. Right now, it's time for this.
Yes, it's time for the news and Steve Bruce has been sacked as manager of West Brom. It's with the Albion sat in the bottom three, having won just one game all season. Oh boy, where do we start with this one, Justin? I think it's safe to say long overdue, isn't it? Yeah, it was just a sigh of relief, I think, from everybody. Just the fact from, from us that we don't have to continue talking about it from West Brom fans that they can just have a fresh start from even probably Steve Bruce and Alex Bruce, the fact they don't have to take on as much flack as they did. Um, and just the rest of the footballing world, knowing that they don't have to come across this type of story anymore or this, this, this topic of story anymore because it has been exhausting because Steve Bruce's record at West Brom has left a lot to be desired. And when you've got a team with the squad that West Brom have, they should be competing to get into the top six. You'd make the argument that if West Brom were below 10th, then that even that at that point, Steve, you've got to ask questions of Steve Bruce. Um, so the fact they're in the bottom three after 12, 13 games is um, it's quite rightly sackable. Um, and as we've said, it's just it's longer it's longer overdue, isn't it? Um, he's a, he's a he's a likable guy, but probably past his best at this level. I'm not sure West Brom fans will agree he's a likeable guy, <laughs> nor will Newcastle fans or Aston Villa fans for that matter. Uh, a tweet here from Richard Jolly, a journalist at The Independent, West Brom, whose managers from 1975 to 1988, apart from Nobby Styles, were Johnny, Ronnie, John, Ron, Ronnie, Ronnie, John, Ron and Ron, who have now sacked their management team of Steve, Steve, Stephen and Alex's uh, Alex, Steve's son, um, which I really enjoyed. It was very difficult to read, though. Um, yeah, the appointment of Steve Bruce in the first place was strange. I think it was a desperate attempt by the hierarchy there to try and get promoted after the Valerie and Ishmael uh, tenure. And even then, I don't think I was more confident about West Brom getting promoted um, after his appointment. And his record at the Hawthorns has been abysmal in the time that he's been there, considering the talent he's got at his disposal. They had eight wins in 32 games under Steve Bruce, which is pretty appalling, isn't it? And the fans never talked to him. It was just a disaster waiting to happen, really, wasn't it? And I thought things might improve, considering the business they did in the summer. So some really good players, but things just didn't get any better. And his his kind of presence at the Hawthorns just meant that the atmosphere there is getting even more toxic and that's why plenty of fans are getting disillusioned with the way the club is being run. So mm-hmm. he had to go. He should have gone a long time ago. Why they hung around and didn't sack him sooner, I don't really know, to be honest, because I never got the sense that things were going to improve under Steve Bruce. I thought they were playing quite well, despite results not going their way. But I think there had to be a change of manager to really trigger that improvement in results. So it'll be interesting to see whether that does happen with a new manager. But either way, it had to happen um, a couple of weeks ago, really, as opposed to right now. And also worth mentioning, his transfer policy was interesting. According to The <laughs> Athletic, Eric Peters, who he signed, was his neighbour. And Brandon Thomas Asante, he became aware of because he was at Salford, who were managed by his brother-in-law. So, yeah, strange times at West Brom with a... Steve Bruce in charge and hopefully this may change their fortunes Justin or at least I hope it does because if things don't improve they could be in serious danger of going down so that brings me nicely on to who do the Albion get in next then Justin that's quite a big question actually isn't it it is considering the links that have come out recently um really really bizarre um and for me West Brom are in that category of a bit of a basket basket case club because of how they run because of how the ownership is because of their transfer policy this summer clearly 
Um, it leaves you worried as a manager going in. And I think every manager, when they're picking a job, especially Neil Warnock, says pick your chairman, not the club. Um, so in that, if that logic, who's going to want this West Brom job? Um, of course, it's a big job. Um, it's, it's a very big job at this level. Um, so there'll be plenty of takers, but I don't think West Brom are going to improve until the uh, off-the-field situation improves, which leaves um, a certain group of managers, I think, out of uh, out of range, I think. Um, the likes of Guy Rao has been linked, um, which sort of tells you where West Brom are going. He likes to operate on a budget. Guy Rao does, he doesn't like to, but he's very good at it. Um, so, that, again, that tells you where they are. Um, the obvious candidates, again, are... <laughs> The Alan Kerblishes of the world, the Carlos Corbrands, the Michael Carrick's been linked, Sean Dyche. Um, but I don't think West Brom are in a really good position to go out and get a, a top, top manager that they could possibly go and do. Um, so I think they need someone who's experienced at this level to come in and operate under the restrictions. And that leaves the likes of Guy Rowett in that category for me. Yeah, I find it very tricky to predict who's actually going to be the next West Brom manager. Guy Rowett... I mean, Millwall fans, judging from their reaction over the past 24 hours or so, wouldn't be too bothered if he left, which I think says a lot about what they think about Gary Rower. And overall, his record at championship level is fairly good, but at the same time, isn't it isn't enough to get me off my seat. So I'm not sure he'd be the appointment for me. I'm looking at Carlos Corporan, who I think would suit things, but... Whether he'd be enough to inspire West Brom fans, I'm not too sure. Sean Dyche is the obvious choice for me, but I'm not sure he'd actually want to go mm. to West Brom. I've seen some reports actually suggest that he is still holding out for a Premier League job, but making that what you will. Chris Wilder, can't see happening because they turned him down before. I, th- I think Chris Wilder is another one who look at it and think he could get a Premier League job. Um, Scott Parker? Mm. I could see that happening, but the thing is with Scott Parker... Can he see himself getting another Premier League job? I don't think... I think he'd be a bit foolish if he did. So he might be a good fit, but we've always had question marks over Scott Parker, haven't we? Uh, Rob Edwards, I'm not too sure about that one. As I say, his time at West Brom... uh, Time at Watford, sorry. Didn't really tell us much and is still coming off the back of a Forest Green season where he actually struggled towards the end despite getting them promoted and then Michael Carrick's another one who's been linked with the job but as we've said before when we were talking about him linked with the Middlesbrough job he is a bit of a risk isn't he so I really don't know who the best choice is for West Brom and I don't actually know who's a realistic choice for West Brom because as you say I actually agree with you Justin I do think in some ways it is quite a not an attractive job for some managers so they may have to go further down the pecking order than they actually might think mm-hmm. um, the fans that is so yeah really strange time at West Brom and quickly just now I just wanted to ask you what next for Steve Bruce surely this is his last job in charge for a club of a similar size to West Brom isn't it yeah have England got a summer cricket tour coming up they can uh, they're going to holiday. New Zealand next winter there you go uh, he's done. Yeah, that's him. That's him. That's that's his next. That's his next. Uh, is grab. Um, I think if he's going to come back into the championship, it's got to be at a club who needs someone experienced like him. Like he when when he went in at Sheffield Wednesday, um, he immediately got them getting results after that Josh Lu, Josh Luhakai um, tenure. So if there's a team that are in a similar situation where they need their manager to come in, 
get an immediate uplift in uh, uplifting in results um, and get them going again on on the right path. And maybe, but for me, I just think the championships moved past him rather than him not be as quite as good. I just think the championships evolved way past him. You look at the amount of technical managers there are: Ryan Lowe, John Dar Thomas, and Michael Beale. There's none of there's none of the Steve Bruce's anymore. I think well, I'm going back to his time at Sheffield Wednesday, where he actually did quite good. I think he would actually be a half decent appointment for a club who aren't, you know, desperate for promotion straight away, mm. but one who are kind of on the edge of it. I'm, I'm kind of looking at that kind of Blackburn kind of area. I'm not saying Blackburn should sack Dahl Thomason and get Steve Bruce in, but a club of that kind of mould who just want to take that next step because I, I still don't think Steve Bruce is an awful manager by any means. I just think he gets jobs which are bigger than his actual managerial ability, if you see <laughs> what I mean. So yeah. if the expectation isn't there, I still think Steve Bruce has got the hunger to get teams promoted, um, mainly because after the past few jobs that he's had, I think he'll have a point to prove now that he's not this old dinosaur that he's often coined online. Um, so I, I don't think this is the end of Steve Bruce in the championship, Justin. Um, I think we'll still see him show up in some shape or form in the near future. <laughs> it's also worth mentioning, I think there's that strange stat that since the 80s, there hasn't been a season where Steve Bruce hasn't played or managed. That's how long he's been in the game for, Justin. I can't see that ending uh, next season. Um, on to Middlesbrough's search for manager. Leo Perkovic is expected to be in charge for their game against Blackburn at the weekend now, after initially saying that he didn't think he would be. Numerous reports have claimed that Michael Carrick won't be taking the job. He apparently doesn't feel like it's the right one for him. A genuine contender for the job now appears to be former Middlesbrough and Sunderland midfielder Lee Catamold. He's been coaching the under-18s and the Northern Echoes says he has powerful admirers at the club. The head of football, Karen Scott, is still pushing for Rob Edwards to get the job. But according to TalkSport, um, yeah, Catamold, Justin. <laughs> mm, yeah, I mean, it's... What do we call these types of appointments, Ryan? What do we say? Cheap option. Cheap option. Yes, that's what it comes across as. It's a cheap option. Internal appointments are cheap options. Um, And Lee Catamore might be an incredibly gifted coach, but he's not been coaching for that long. That's a bit of a worry. A bit of a worry for me. Um, it 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 might turn out well, but also it might not. Middlesbrough have got a squad that's capable of getting into the top six this season if they can put together a run of form that is absolutely monumental. And I mean, we've seen it with the likes of Aston Villa, for example. Okay, they weren't in this sort of situation at Borough in points-wise, um, but Aston Villa under Dean Smith went a lot of games unbeaten, managed to get into the playoffs. Um, and I think it's a competitive division, so they've got to go and get a manager who can get an immediate um, lift in this squad to make them competitive to have that view of getting into the playoffs. I don't think Catamol's that that man. And obviously Michael Carrick's reportedly turned them down, which is a worry. Um, so it does leave the likes of um, the Rob Edwards as, uh, and maybe Carlos Corbran uh, available for the job. Um, and if the fact that if you've got the chairman choosing one option and then your head of football choosing another, nothing's in sync at that football club, which sort of goes a long way with the recruitment as well. The likes of Martin Pierre came in last season, for example. Um, clearly wasn't a manager signing, for example. Um, so, yeah, nothing seems in sync at Middlesbrough. So, again, they're falling into that West Brom category of, I've got no idea who's good for the job anymore. Yeah, I've always viewed Middlesbrough as quite a well-run club, but certain decisions over 
the past couple of seasons I've started to make me question that. But going back to Catamol, it would be a very, very big call for Middlesbrough. As mm-hmm. I say that, I'm getting flashbacks to Jonathan Woodgate and how well that yeah. went. Middlesbrough are a side who obviously spent the summer of the game being promotion. And if they appoint Catamol, I would say that as a sign that they see the season as a write-off. It would be a huge ask for a young coach to get them back into contention for the top six after the start they've had. So it'd be a huge gamble by Middlesbrough, especially because he's a legend at Sunderland. I, I think they can afford to take that gamble because they've tried other options before and surely they won't be in danger of going down, Justin. Surely. Mm. As I say that though, I can't remove Jonathan Woodgate's face from my head, kind of like a <laughs> kind of like a Lion King situation where I just see him in the sky staring at me. Um but as you say, he hasn't been coaching very long. So that's why it would be such a bold call for Middlesbrough to actually go down this route. As you say, yeah, I've got some good managers available right now. So it would be strange as well as a very big call. So yeah. I'm not sure about this one, I've got to say. Lawrence Bassini claims he is about to complete a takeover of Birmingham City. The ex-Watford owner contacted TalkSport with the claim. It is worth mentioning that Mr Bassini has said similar over the past few months. Paul Richardson, who is involved in the other party, attempted to take over the club, has rubbished the claims and says his takeover with ex-footballer Maxi Lopez is still on track, despite it being over a month now since they missed the exclusivity period to complete the deal. Birmingham are a bit of a mess off the pitch, aren't they, Justin? Yeah, it's 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 so strange because I mean this this is taking such a long time. What it was early August, wasn't it, or maybe late July that they were on the pitch um, at on, at St Andrews taking pictures, almost announcing their their takeover or or intentions to take over. So yeah, it's it's taken a long time. That that's a, that's a big concern. Um, these things don't usually take that long, um, but I think because it's in between the transfer windows, um, they obviously the EFL and the processes are probably taking a little bit longer just because um, they've got that buffer period. They don't have to panic and, and get things over the line quickly. Um, and obviously with the, the, the current owners now, um, that adds a lot of hurdles because of the ownership structure is a complete shambles. Um that's not criticism of Birmingham, it's criticism of their owners. It's, it's, it is a complete shambles. But the whole Bassini thing, why won't he just go away? He's, he's an odd fella, isn't he? He just, just, I don't know, just go away. It's strange. Yeah. The, um, the thing is with this Richardson and Lopez deal, right? If, if it's taken this long to get over the line, then... I, I don't think it's going to happen. I completely forgot about it, Justin, which says a lot about how quiet the whole situation has been. And that's worrying from a fan perspective, who, from a set of fans who wants the club to be taken out of the hands of their current owners. Look, for me, Lawrence Bassini isn't the answer. I think that goes without saying. <laughs> Paul Richardson and Maxi Lopez aren't the answer either. Birmingham fans can't trade a poor hand for an even poorer hand, no matter how desperate they are to get rid of these owners unfortunately it seems as if there isn't a queue of very wealthy people who are eager to buy Birmingham which is why you have clowns like Bassini getting involved who for all we know might just be texting Jim White every so often on TalkSport claiming he's taking over the club for a laugh shithouse <laughs> yeah, he might he might just be doing it to get 
shits and gigs. Um, it's a shame, really, that this is all rumbling on while things on the pitch are actually going better than expected. But where Birmingham go next in, t- in terms of who takes charge of the club, I'm not really too sure. Norwich Sporting Director Stuart Webber is in talks with Chelsea to take up the same role at Stamford Bridge, according to The Athletic. I find this one a bit strange, Justin. I don't know. I think it's a natural progression. Um, I saw your tweet and I saw one of the replies from uh, HTAFC Stato. Raises some really good points that the, the, the sporting director role is not necessarily just recruitment. It's the overall running of the club. And actually, if you if you consider all of that around Norwich, he's turned Norwich into a profitable business. So if he was a CEO of any company um, and, he's, and he's turned a, a loss-making business into a profitable one, yeah, I think the natural progression is to a bigger company. Um, so that of Stuart Webber, I think, yeah, I think, um, I think, I think it's a good fit, and I think they're getting a good young, a good young, ambitious, talented sporting director. Um, and he turned the fortunes around at Huddersfield as well. So, yeah, recruitment might need, might leave a lot to be desired, but that doesn't all fall on the sporting director. And actually, the recruitment this summer, I think, has been quite positive for the fact that they unearthed some South American talent. So that goes a long way for me as well. South American talent being one player in Nunez and, and maybe Sara Sara who's barely played at all yet despite costing £6 million no I, I still think this is very strange I fully accept that sporting director's role isn't just signing players um, but at the same time Norwich have just been bouncing between Championship and Premier League now for what is seemingly eons um, and if he was a very good sporting director, I think he would have taken Norwich to that next level. But that's clearly not the case. And as I say with the recruitment, if you ignore Brendia, Puki, maybe Nunes, maybe it's a bit too soon to put him in the success category, then Stuart Webber's recruitment in the time that he's been there is actually very miss than hit. So... And they've also spent a lot of money on some players in that time. You look at the players they've signed when they have been in the Premier League. There haven't been many successes there. So the fact that Chelsea have looked at him and thought, yeah, he's doing a sterling job there, I find very strange. Surely there are other sporting directors at other clubs who are more deserving of this than Stuart Webber, who many Norwich fans I don't think would actually be too disappointed to see go out the door either, because I think many see him as someone who's lost interest in the club. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's certainly the perception of many Norwich fans. So the fact he's got this seemingly massive promotion to one of the biggest clubs in the country is very bizarre, to say the very least. The FA have charged Watford's Iman Lauza for allegedly spitting at a Swansea player in their championship game last Wednesday. The less said about that, the better. The Daily Mail's reporting the EFL is willing to consider an end to the Saturday 3pm blackout as part of a new TV rights package. Bold move, Justin. Yeah, it's quite exciting. Um, I've been moaning for the last couple of weeks, actually, at the, uh, Sky Sports' coverage of the EFL. It's been absolutely pitiful. Um, obviously, there's no, not been any Saturday games. Um, we've had 3 o'clock kickoffs on a Sunday, 12.30 kickoffs on a Sunday. Um, and while it's disruptive to our recording schedule, it's also very hard to uh, want to engage watching those games. I want to watch them on a Saturday and a Friday night. Um, and I think um, lifting this... this 3 p.m. Um, blackout is a, is a is a positive move, and I think it's going to generate a lot of revenue. I think it's Andy Holt, the Accrington Stanley chairman, <clears throat> breaks down. He's broken down in the past the the impact of of live coverage um, 
of of games and how important it is uh, for lower league EFL clubs. So I think it will benefit the lower league clubs more than the likes of the championship clubs. But nonetheless, you know, being able to watch a three pm um, a game on a, on a Saturday that I can't get to, I think yeah, I think that's a positive move. I'd like to see the details more before I decide whether it's a positive move or not, Justin, because the obvious risk here is that attendances at games would drop no, because people no. can... How, how, how can you say no so convincingly? Because the fact that we've just come out of a lockdown where we've not been able to go to games, attendances have been lower than usual, but actually I just don't think you'll, you'll remove that live aspect from, from sport. I know it's a very simple argument, but if I, I will get to every 3pm home game for, for Derby, there's no question. Oh, sorry, I'll get there 10 minutes late for every 3pm home game for Derby. Um I'm not going to substitute that for watching it live just because I can, just because it's yeah, cold ju- or raining. That may be your circumstances, but other people may be different. Yeah, yeah, it might support people. Um, it might support people who um, financially can't go to games or can't get a season ticket or be able to afford a ticket. But you can watch it online at a cheaper cost, um, so that might be benefit. And it's still revenue for the football club, albeit tendencies might drop slightly. Um, but that's only going to. I think that's only going to happen if ticket prices don't don't drop. But again, it's away games as well. That if you're getting charged forty quid to go to Sheffield Wednesday, and every every championship fan knows it's about forty quid to go to Sheffield Wednesday, that's that's not affordable. And it's much easier to watch that online. And then you've got the. Fans yeah, but surely that from- mean there will be no away fans going to games, mm-hmm. would it? Because you'd. If you have, I don't know, if you're a Preston fan, for example, and you uh, have Norwich away in midweek, then you would just think, well, I'll just watch it on telly instead and there'll be absolutely no away fans at games. I'm not saying that it would be that dramatic, but you'd, I think you'd certainly see a decrease in the number of people there, wouldn't you? But, you should, but that should also have an uplift in clubs going, we're probably charging too much. And that 20 plenty campaign might come back into the fore because that's the main incentive in getting, to, getting people to go back uh, to go to away games is making sure it's affordable for away fans because for a lot of clubs it isn't they charge far too much for what the games actually are um, and for what the grounds actually are etc they charge far too much money um, and if that makes clubs go right like we're going to drop the prices because they'll still earn money from revenue from um, the online TV sales however it's going to be um, however it's going to be done um, if, it, if it gets them to drop prices ticket prices then that's a positive for me mm-hmm. We'll wait and see. As I say, I'll wait until I see the details before start making any decisions on whether I think it's right or not. Uh, King Charles's coronation will take place on the same day as the final day of the championship season. Great planning by all involved there. And finally, you'll have seen the sad news this week about Brighton midfielder Enoch Mwepu having to retire due to a hereditary heart problem. Well, former Birmingham and Doncaster midfielder David Cottrell has had his say on it. For anyone who isn't aware of his witterings on social media, he's one of these conspiracy theory types. He commented on the news saying, So sad, we all know what the cause is. I don't think David knows what hereditary heart problem means. I will just say, if you aren't, if you are unvaccinated, completely fine. It's your body. Just don't be David Cottrell. Mm. Right now it's time for this. Diddy? Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy or Didn't He? This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We're taking in turns to guess them and we keep the score as the season goes on. This week it's my turn. No, actually it's Justin's turn to guess mm. with the scores 36-35 
to myself. I'm going to provide Justin with the questions. Justin, it's been quite tight so far, hasn't it? But I'm just waiting for one of us to have an absolutely disastrous week. And I'm hoping <laughs> that week is this week. Do you want the first one? Yep. Nigel, Rio Coca and Blackpool, did he or didn't he? That's unfair because Blackpool had those two, two or three seasons where they were ridiculous. Um, I'm going to say no. can't recall him playing for Blackpool. You're absolutely correct. I completely made it up. Um, that means it's one out of one for you so far. Adam Lalana and Bournemouth, did he or didn't he? <laughs> came through at Bournemouth, didn't he? Um, he came through at Bournemouth, but did he make an appearance? I think he had a loan spell there. Yes. Three appearances on loan. Did he come through at Bournemouth? I'm sure he did. Oh, he well, he, he was found by Bournemouth, but then he went to Southampton. Ah, so okay. he, he was actually at Southampton for 14 years. So whether he actually came through there or not, sort of for debate. Well, he's two out of two for you, Justin. Uh, next up, Rory Delap and Barnsley. Rory Delap and Barnsley. See, I can only picture Roy Delap in a Southampton uh, derby and Stoke kit. Um, but he must have come from somewhere, so I'm going to say yes. You are so jammy. Six appearances <laughs> on loan in 2013, oh, so wow. he didn't come through there. <laughs> oh, that's so irritating when that happens. So three out of three. Stephen Island and Newcastle. Did he or didn't he? Stephen Island and Newcastle. I think he, I think he ended up at Newcastle. So I'm going to say, yeah, I remember that. Again, completely wrong, but two appearances on loan in 2011. So he didn't end up there, <laughs> but he's managed to scribble his way out of it again. That means it's four out of four for Justin. Asmir Begovic and Reading, did he or didn't he? No, I don't think he did. Yeah, made it up, didn't I? Uh, that means it's five out of five for Justin Peach. This is an interesting one. Maran Shamak and Crystal Palace. No, not Crystal Palace. Uh, Brighton, sorry. Did he or didn't he? Oh, I, was on Maro, uh, I was on Shamak's Wikipedia the other week because I was going to put him in. Um, oh, well, he definitely played for Palace. For Brighton? I, no, not Brighton. He didn't made it up that means it's six out of six for justin peach this is going to be the full marks the first time ever this season michael kitely and watford did he or didn't he michael kitely and watford um again some clubs just go for a period of signing absolutely everybody uh so but i think watford's peak years didn't align with kitely's um so i'm going to say no 12 appearances on loan in 2011. That means it's six out of seven for Justin Peets. No full marks for them this week. Next up is Connor Wickham and Leeds. Did he or didn't he? Yeah, I think that was a loan spell there. Five appearances on loan in 2014. <laughs> seven out of eight. You've got two remaining, Justin. TV's very own Keith Andrews and Coventry. Did he or didn't he? I was on Keith Andrews' Wikipedia page this week. <laughs> <laughs> don't know why um, but I was enamoured by his career but I can't remember seeing Coventry uh, there was a lot of clubs on there um, so I'm going to say no yeah made it up that means 
Eight out of nine. Final one. Alan Hutton and Bolton did your didn't he? No, there's no way he was ahead of the great Alan Greta Steinson. Um, <laughs> Got to him mentioned. No, I don't. Oh, he might have had a loan spell there, but I'm going to say no. I'm going to go my gut. Nine appearances on loan in 2014. Therefore, that means Justin Peach this week has finished with a score of eight out of ten, which is a fairly good score. Justin, you happy with that? Yeah, I was quite happy with that. I think because I've started a new job, it's induction week, been a bit bored, been on quite a few footballers' Wikipedia pages. I think that's helped me a fair bit. Good to know the job's going well then. (laughs) (laughs) That means the score at the time of recording, 43-36 to Justin Peach. So I've got a good chance of getting back ahead next week, but we'll have to wait till then to find out if I do or not, ladies and gentlemen, because this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday to go through all the championship games coming up this weekend, and we look forward to seeing you then. Uh, So, yeah, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. (laughs) 